Father and the Son. So first, Genesis chapter 1, just verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then, all the way to the end of your Bibles, to Revelation chapter 22. Verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your holy word. And whenever we come to your word and whenever we pray for the message, we always pray, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come in a special way to help the preacher to communicate that which you would have us hear this evening and help each of us to hear that you would warm our hearts to receive that which we'll hear tonight. And so minister to us, we pray, through your word and through your spirit. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I were to ask you if you knew someone, you would understand readily that I didn't simply mean do you know of someone or do you know about someone, you would assume that I mean that you know something of their personality and of their character. In other words, the implication is, if I ask you if you knew someone, you would understand that I mean, do you know them personally? Do you know them personally? You know enough about them to tell me about them. They mean something to you. When it comes to the person of God, if I were to ask you, do you know God, you would probably say yes. If I ask you if you knew Jesus, you would say, well, I certainly know Jesus. He's my Savior. He's the one who came in my flesh. He's the one who died for my sins. He's the one who is praying for me right now. He's the one who's going to come back for me. I know Jesus. If I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't be saved. If I said, do you know the Father? You might say, well, I know the Father. I know He's the one who cares for me. I know He's the one I draw near to in prayer. He's the one who's invited me to come to Him with all of my burdens and all of my sorrows and all of my needs. I know the Father. I know what a perfect Father is because I know God the Father. I know what a Father is, but I now know what a perfect Father is. I know my Father God. But if I were to ask you, do you know the Holy Spirit? I would venture to say you might have a little harder time answering that question. You would say, for sure, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that he's the third person of the Trinity. I confess that in the Apostles' Creed every time we confess that. I certainly know of the Holy Spirit. But if I were to ask you, do you know him and do you know him well? Do you know his personality? Do you know his characteristics? Do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in any way that you have a relationship with God the Father or the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if we can't answer that question, then we would have to say something something is lacking in our understanding of the Trinity and the work 
of the Holy Spirit in particular. And so, in this series, I'm not really introducing you to the Holy Spirit. You know who He is. I'm not even really reintroducing you to the Holy Spirit, but what I hope to do is to familiarize us more and more with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit so that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of God and so that ultimately, as we're told to do, that we would worship Him and rely on Him and trust in Him. And as we're told in some places, to be filled with Him. You see, that relationship is personal and we want to build on that. Do you know him? I will readily admit that I will only scratch the surface tonight. Tonight, my goal is to kind of wet our whistles or to stir our appetite or to spark some interest to know more. I'm only going to be able to outline some of the things that we'll be looking about about the person of the Holy Spirit. It's one reason why I chose Genesis and then Revelation. I'm not really used to preaching topical type sermons, but we've got a lot to cover Every page in Scripture is going to point us to the person of the Holy Spirit. Herman Witsius, a Dutch theologian, wrote this. He says, The Holy Spirit of God is the author of all human wisdom, and in particular of that spiritual and saving knowledge which makes us Christians. Since we stand indebted to Him both for the Scriptures from which we know all things, And for the opening of the eyes of the mind by which we know them, it would therefore be more than impious not rightly to know and not devoutly to recognize the Spirit himself. He cannot be seen, however, but in his own light he cannot be known or acknowledged but by his own kind and gracious agency. Isn't that a marvel? The very fact that we're trying to learn more about the Holy Spirit through Scripture requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And so it it behooves us to study the person of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we understand that we know him as God. For lack of a better word, when we speak of God and the persons of God, we use that word persons. But we understand that God is really wholly other, that we can't really describe him in the way that we use the word person except for the incarnate person of Christ. But we use that so we can understand, and especially with regard to God, to make a distinction between the persons in the Godhead. And we have to deal with the tremendous mystery of the Trinity, right? There's one God, there's only one God, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall have no other gods before you. There is but one God. But we understand from Scripture this undeniable mystery of the Trinity. The undeniable mystery of the Trinity. If we try to explain the the mystery of the Trinity, we'll drive ourselves crazy. If we try to illustrate the Trinity, we're always going to fall short. So we understand and believe the Trinity because of what Scripture tells us. We understand that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is co-equal with the Father and the Son. And he's due all the reverence that the Father and the Son demand. So we have to be very careful, don't we? Have any of you ever fallen into the mistake of referring to the Holy Spirit as it? I remember doing that one time when I was a brand new Christian, and it was out of ignorance, but it still stuck in my mind that that was absolutely 
bad. That was not a good thing. Someone corrected me, and I'm thankful for that. And if I ever slip into that again, I want to bite my tongue. So if I bite my tongue in the middle of all these sermons, it's because I've slipped back into making the mistake of referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as it. We would never refer to the Father as it. We'd never refer to the Son as it. We'd never refer to each other as it. But we refer to him as the Holy Spirit. He's given personal pronouns in Scripture. We know him as the third person of the Trinity. I want to use this illustration with all reverence. I'm very much aware that sometimes the worst illustrations are the best remembered illustrations. So stick with me for a moment. But if you've ever looked at a new car, purchasing a new car, whether it was brand new or you're buying a car model that you've never purchased before, and you start to look at that car, you start to notice those cars on the road like you've maybe never noticed them before. All of a sudden, you see that model, you see that make, and you're thinking, I never noticed that until I started looking at it. Well, that's a terrible, that's a terrible illustration, but the reason I use it is this. When we start to look for the work of the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation, if we just read through and we're not really paying close attention, we're going to miss a lot. But if we are very carefully looking for the work of the Holy Spirit, we are going to see his hand at work everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. You will recognize him more and more. And as you grow in the grace and knowledge of God, you'll recognize his work in your life more and more. So we identify the third person of the Trinity as equal with the Father and the Son, but they have distinct titles, Holy Spirit, Holy Other, without sin, but also the one who makes people holy. And so holy and then spirit. The words are similar from Hebrew to Greek. The word for spirit is like wind or gust, but with power and substance. And so while, again, we're trying to understand and here scripturally understand how we understand the person of the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, we're left with some degree of mystery, but that's okay. Since when are mysteries odd in scripture? Since when do we have to be able to explain everything? We simply believe what we're told in the word. Well, think of the attributes of God. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of God. Tonight, for a couple of parts of the sermon, I want you to look at our confession and our catechism. So if you'll turn, take your hymnal if you want to look. If not, just listen. But the attributes and characteristics of God are so important for us to understand and meditate on. First of all, the Westminster Shorter Catechism and I'll get there, give you a chance in the back of your hymnal. Simply question number four. What is God? The answer has to do with the attributes, some of the attributes of God. God is a spirit. I think, personally, I think it's better. God is spirit. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Those things apply to all three persons of the Trinity. And so we need to understand that that the, the Holy Spirit is deity. 
Uh, Just think of the very fact that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. That word is reserved for an offense to God. And if if you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, he must be God. And so his deity. He does works that only God can do. That can't be attributed to any kind of human creature, any creature at all. He's got a personality. Think about what you know about the Holy Spirit. He has full knowledge. He speaks. Talk about the mind of the Spirit. Imagine this, that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. And so, deity with works attributed to God, with full personality that we can begin to understand more, and then his actions. The actions of the Trinity are always in full accord with the three persons, but each person is given certain aspects of the ministry. And so we'll briefly look at those for now according to his work. First of all, where we started in Genesis, the work of creation. The work of creation. Obviously, God created all things, all things out of nothing. But as we read in our passage, there was this point where the elements are somewhat in chaos and then the Holy Spirit hovers over and brings, as it were, things to shape. And so the Holy Spirit is there from the beginning. Of course, he's eternal, but there in his activity from the beginning, he is creator God. And then you follow his work through the Holy Spirit, through the Old Testament, sorry, a constant work, sustaining, upholding, something we don't normally think about, restraining evil on earth. Some might call that common grace, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit to keep man who is totally depraved from throwing the world into absolute depraved chaos. And sometimes we might think that that's not happening when we look at the world around us, but that's the broader work of the Holy Spirit. But then, more specifically, working in, working in God's people. Speaking, for instance, through Moses and the prophets. Peter says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But the work of the Holy Spirit is somewhat different in the lives of individuals in the Old Testament. Sinclair Ferguson, who is a living professor, teacher, preacher from Scotland, puts it this way, the Spirit had been active among God's people, but his activity is enigmatic, sporadic, theocratic, selective, and in some respects, external. So if you're reading through the Old Testament, you're going to see the Holy Spirit working, and then the Holy Spirit taking his power away from individuals who once had it. But things radically change In the New Testament, and that shouldn't surprise us either because there's so much more clarity. The things that are shadowy in the Old Testament become so clear in the New Testament. It's true about the Father. It's true about the second person of the Trinity, then manifesting himself as Jesus Christ. It's also true about the Holy Spirit. Jesus mentions the fact that the Spirit is coming. John comments this way when he's talking about a promise that Jesus made and the work that was going to be done. John says the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus is glorified and when he pours out his Spirit on people, things will radically 
change. And we're going to look at that, Lord willing, when we get to his promises in John 14 and 16, and then when we eventually get to Acts chapter 2. But for now, let's rewind just a little bit because it's very important for us to understand, it's very important for us to understand the Holy Spirit's relationship to the person of Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher, 1900s up until 1981, actually, he passed away, preached in London most of the time. He writes this, he's speaking about the ministry of the Spirit being in subordination to the work of the Father and of the Son. Here is the subordination. Here is the division of the work. The Son says that he has come to glorify the Father. And the Spirit's work is to glorify the Son. Each one reflects the glory of the other. Thus we look into the mystery of this amazing doctrine of the Blessed Trinity. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive, for he shall, I'm sorry, he shall receive of the blessed, uh, he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. John 16, 14. Now listen to this. This is to me one of the most amazing and remarkable things about the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seems to hide himself and to conceal himself. He is always, as it were, putting the focus on the Son. And that is why I believe, and I believe profoundly, that the best test of all is to whether we have received the Spirit is to ask ourselves, what do we think of and what do we know about the Son? Is the Son real to us? That is the work of the Spirit. He is glorified indirectly. He is always pointing us to the Son, the Lord Jesus. In the New Testament, we see a lot of work of the Holy Spirit. But when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to proclaiming Christ, the Holy Spirit is the prime evangelist, pointing us again and again to the person of Christ. Now start to think about the life of Christ from the very beginning. Who announces the coming of the Messiah? The Holy Spirit speaks to Zechariah, speaks to Mary, or speaks to others. Angel speaks to Mary. We deal with that incredible, unfathomable mystery of the incarnation. We testify that we believe, because the Bible says it, that Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity taken on human form, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We understand that Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit. We read that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. We see the Holy Spirit guiding Jesus, even leading Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted so that he could conquer temptation and conquer the devil. He's led there by the Holy Spirit in that act of redemption. Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. Did you ever think about the fact that Jesus promised us, he promised the disciples that he would never leave or forsake his people? How can that be? He sends the Holy Spirit. 
so that he's with us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are places where the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Jesus promises to pour out the Holy Spirit. Jesus dies, the resurrection happens, the Holy Spirit is instrumental in the resurrection itself. Jesus then tells the disciples to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, calling people to repent and believe. And then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then sure enough, once Jesus ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit and pours the Spirit out on the people of God as a final act, and don't miss this, of redemption. Because the redemption of souls is not complete until the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of individuals. And that's where much of the work of the Holy Spirit is going to take us. We've seen the Holy Spirit's work in relation to creation, work in relation to Jesus, now relation to sinners. Recreation. Regeneration. One of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is that regenerating work that happens in the souls of sinners who end up being saved. If you still have your hymnal open to the catechism, I just want to draw attention to a couple questions here. Question and answer 29, and then we'll just do 3 30 to 31. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? We are made partakers of redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. There is no salvation outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. Redemption in Jesus Christ applied. And so when you begin to look at the things that happen in salvation, that initial conviction of sin, showing us our sin, pointing us to the Savior, teaching us what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our crosses and follow him, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Sanctifying our souls, working with us, taking the word and applying it to our souls, even as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're a believer, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have Christ. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit God. And the very thought of such a truth should help stir our interest in the person and work of Jesus. Finally, it should be no surprise that the Holy Spirit is mentioned there in Revelation as the one who is beckoning sinners to come. It should be no surprise to us that the church, 
as we'll see when we look at that verse again, is a part of that. Spirit-filled church, together with the Holy Spirit, calling the world to come. Verse 17, Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Come and drink. Jesus provides springs of living water to thirsty souls. We pray for renewal. We pray for revival. We pray for renewal in the church, reformation in the church, whatever you want to call it. We pray for revival in our nation regularly. Requires prayer, but that's not going to happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. We would be fooling ourselves to think that we as a church can just proclaim the gospel without the work of the Holy Spirit and think people are going to get saved. It doesn't work that way. Pray the Holy Spirit come. Holy Spirit, come and transform hearts. Convict of sin. Open eyes to the need for the Savior. Show people the Savior. Transform lives. Well, hopefully, at the very least, we're inspired to worship with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Surely there are plenty of things lacking in tonight's message. But if nothing else, I pray and trust that it will create a hunger and a thirst to know the Holy Spirit more. To know him better. So that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our one true and living God. Drawn to the Father. Drawn to the Son. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, we want to know you more. We who are in Christ, we profess unashamedly that we know you and we love you. We come to you as the one true and living God, the Holy Trinity. Father, how thankful we are that we have been invited by your own Son to come to you as our Heavenly Father. And to cry out, Abba, Father, knowing that you are always here for us. And we worship you and we adore you and we rest ourselves in you. Jesus Christ, we praise you as our Savior, holy second person of the Trinity, in humility taking on our flesh, so that the likes of us might be redeemed. We worship you and we praise you. And Holy Spirit, we worship you. And we pray that we would never miss you or your work in your scriptures or in our lives. That we would be very much aware of your work and bring you all praise and glory. We come to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we come to you in the name of our Savior Jesus.